is Father Patrick Briscoe. And this is Father Bonaventure Chapman. And welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcast. So, Father Bonaventure. Father Patrick Mary. Here we are, in person. In person. Recording in the God's Planning studio. It, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's, what is it, T.S. Eliot from Little Gidding, I think it is, or where he says, at the end of all of our exploring, it's just it's to come back to the, to the beginning and know it for the first time or something. Ah, uh, very nice. Because it feels a bit like how we all started uh, when we podcast in rooms together uh, with less serious tech um, before we got spread out and would do individually. So having conversations again, so we're kind of returning back to the original thing, but now it's, it's well, it's the Elfhaven, Elf right? Because we have the tech of the recent stuff, nice. but the personal experience yeah. of the early version put together in this beautiful fusion of we've got here under the pathways of the virtues. Absolutely, yeah, pretty yeah. amazing. No, so we, uh, we're <clears throat> up here in Hanover, New Hampshire at Father That's Jacob right. Bertrand's new parish. That's right. St. Dennis. And we've got this nice little week between two of our retreats. We just did our retreat at Immaculate Conception for young adults. Yeah. What did you make of that weekend? How did it go? Um, it was, you know, yeah, they were, it's nice to meet people face to face, I would say. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah, yeah. great and encouraging because when you're doing a podcast, you have audience members, but you're not always aware of who they are and you have some ideas, you project out who might be listening to you. But I'm always impressed by the fact that people from all over uh, the walks of life listen to us, whether it be high school teachers or Amazon workers or um, what uh, Coast Guard lieutenants or all these things. It was great to meet people and put some faces to names also. And then also there were a number of, re of uh, returning, returning uh, God's Plain listeners, and it was great to touch base with them again. So I'm looking forward to that with the upcoming uh, we're having a retreat later as well, so it's good to see them back uh, as part of the process. So it's it's great to share, to sh shake hands, to say hi, to spend time in recreation. Can't yeah, it's part. It's a, a bigger part of the experience than yeah, just. Yeah, I find it deeply humbling. <clears throat> you know, the, the people are willing uh, to cover the cost of it. That they give a weekend to coming on retreat. Yeah. That they give all the time to travel. You know, as he said, people came from far and wide. And it's very moving that they that they love this project enough to want to be there for yeah. it. Uh, so so I'm, I find myself a little bit overwhelmed. I'm looking forward to this weekend yeah. where we're doing something under a new format where we've got our masterclass weekend on the Eucharist. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of stepping out a little bit from the traditional retreat model there to give our different lectures and then to allow people um, time to have more, more of a, a kind of seminar style discussion, I would say, after some of those conferences. So I'm really looking forward to that. A anything yeah. could happen this weekend. That's correct. Yes. And that that's all comers too. And so I think uh, my hope is that by asking people to read a common text before mm -hmm. coming on that weekend, we'll have a basis that will be, you know, a common basis, a common experience already of that book, something that we can step off to um, into the weekend together, right? Because that's not just young at all weekend, that's uh, sort of an all comer. Everybody, yeah. So yeah. that's gonna be exciting, but not everything that Dominicans do or think goes well, right? That's right, that's uh, right. So we, we have some projects that we're very proud of. <clears throat> we have updates, you know, to the podcast that we really like, but, but um, we, we have to be honest about Dominican history. So Father Bonaventure, being mm. a student of history, being, as we mention on occasion, basically every episode, a convert to the Catholic Church. Yeah. Um, what, what do you make of this project of, uh, the, this project of reconciliation? Here I don't mean necessarily reconciling all, all things that have been, that have been, um, that have been uh, mistakes in history, but I mean, how, how can we ourselves 
handle difficult moments of history. Sure. Well, you know, we, we, we make fun of the Jesuits plenty of times and other people plenty of times, but Dominicans, and for the most part, we've been pretty good. You know, I think that we don't have anything too many things to be embarrassed about, and we haven't sent off too many crazies in the world and done some damage to the faith and this sort of thing. Um, and yet, of course, 800 years in the order and the tumultuous times of especially the Reformation, but even in the modern times, and also it just, it, it's interesting to see where, how the order has affected people even outside of it and those who have left it. So I thought it was, I've always been struck at least in my reading histor historical works and also philosophical works at the genealogies and the backgrounds of people. I think ideas aren't really ideas unless they're being thought by someone. No ideas just exist out there really, unless we're weird Platonists of something. They're, they're ideas in thought and they're thoughts of people, since machines don't think as far as I can tell. Um, so the thoughts are always by individual people who have stories behind their lives. And if you dig down in certain historical eras and certain er um, areas of study, you often find Dominicans who aren't Domin weren't Dominicans anymore or were Dominicans and, you know, did some crazy things. So with, when I've just kind of collected together some names, and we thought it'd be great to talk about a few uh, to, you know, air the dirty laundry a bit and remind people that yes, yes, in humility, we can go off the rail too. And it's a good reminder for us individually, for me especially, who spends most of my time doing very undominican kind of study, you could say, that you could be tempted to walk off the rails. And here are some via negativa examples not to do that. Yeah, I think I'd, I don't want to overly spiritualize it too much because it's history, right? Sure. But, but I think that I think that one of the things for us to remember, right, is that, that God allows all of this mm. to be in his divine providence, right? It's not as if God didn't know who some of these Dominicans were going to be and what their projects were going to end up doing. <laughs> I'm awkward. Yep, a little yeah. uncomfortable there. But but God allows it in his providence of, for, for a number of reasons. And one of them, I think, has to be pedagogy, right? God mm -hmm. allows our sins for reasons known unto God. But one of the benefits of our sins, hopefully for us, is that we can learn from them. Yes, that's like right. We can look at a mistake and we can say, well, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. And one of the benefits of looking back on these... Uh, who OPs or whoops. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I'm sorry. I was just so excited about that. And I know people don't love everything, but that's just, I've, I'm I'm very excited about that. Well, we look at these um, uh, maybe ignoble or less noble, yeah. uh, outright embarrassing, some of them figures of Dominican history. We come up with things that we can emulate and we come up with things that we can shy away from. Yeah, and and also maybe, and some of these are, are people who history books have said, are this way. We might say, well, actually, we know them. It's like, oh, that uncle, he's kind of crazy. And you say, yeah, he's a little crazy, but actually, he's not that bad. So, particularly with the first one, I think the, the just chronologically, the ones I have down, I mean, you could go way back and people want to put in comments, like, what about this guy? No, let's not get too excited about it. Um, you know, you don't want to go dig his skeleton closets too much. But um, Savonarola, of course, I suspect many people, famous from a video game, I think, Assassin's Creed or something. You think he's one of the characters in there, too? But Savonarola, of course, a Dominican preacher in Florence um, and a, a bit of a rigorist, you could say. But sometimes, so this is in the 14, mid 1400s, this sort of thing to the end of the 1400s, um, and is a preacher against the, the excesses of the, of the Florentine nobility and such, and is oftentimes thought about as a proto-Protestant, talking about getting back to scripture alone and moving this sort of thing. So sometimes he gets seen as, as a proto-Protestant or as a rigorist or someone who is, is trying to call the Catholic Church uh, to a more heretical view as opposed to just reforming. 
But I know you're a you're a Savonarola man, and so you might let's maybe you'll want to defend and say, yeah, that's not quite right. He was always a Dominican, so he never left. Yeah, I have to say that that I really love Savonarola yeah. for a lot of reasons, um, not the least of which is his zeal. And yeah. I think when you're when you're in Florence in a time of history as he was ruled by a very by a, a very powerful, a very corrupt in some ways family, Medici family, um, you, you've got to call people account to, to 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 account for to live real religion. And that's what I think is most inspiring about Savonarola is that this is a guy who's taking the question of Christian living seriously mm-hmm. and he's seeing abuses in the polity. He's seeing abuses in the clergy and he's calling people to account um, to, to really focus on their spiritual lives. Now, okay, let's take one thing that comes up um, that's very problematic from Savonarola, mm-hmm. I think, um, is book burning. Mm-hmm. Okay, now book burning, e- even even as I say that sentence, I sort of pause and think, well, maybe I should hold more nuance to that. But, the bonfire uh, but, of the vanities. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I'm gonna but I'm gonna I'm gonna go with no um, that the, that the book burning was a bad thing. So for Savonarola, mm-hmm. it wasn't just about books; it was um, certain kinds of art, but 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 mostly stories. You know that led people away from their religious devotions, from religious faith. There are plenty of things that that, that we have around. Films, movies, yeah. uh, music, uh, although uh, so many of these things are digital now. But there are plenty of things that, that we should be wanting to rid ourselves of, mm-hmm. um, to, to pursue a kind of pure um, Christian life. Um, yeah. I'm going to be a little bit nuanced about that, admittedly. But but still, I, I think there's something to there's something to. Um, desiring a purification so what what do you what do you think are, are you an admirer of his his yeah. bonfire the vanities here well I, I i agree he's one of the guys who you know when when you attack the uncle in the family or the crazy guy in the family the family always says look you don't understand you don't get and i think he gets a bad rap so i tend to i'm i tend to be of my little knowledge of savonarola i tend to be thinking it's more nuanced than that and the medicis and the florentine kind of the situation well it's it was a little bit extravagant and it takes a lot of truth to float an error. So, you know, and we don't get his supporters didn't get to write much of the history, you could say. So I'm sure it's more complicated than than it is. And I think I think he's may, maybe not a canonized saint in the moment, but um, I think he probably deserves a second look. That's for sure. He was um, a well, fun fact about Savonarola yeah. here that's that's related. And I think, think a lot of our listeners will love Pier Giorgio Frassani took mm-hmm. Savonarola's name as his religious name yes. as a third order. That's Dominican. right. So, so we have in the tradition not just because of what Pier Giorgio Frassani did, but in yeah. the tradition, there's a conflicted reading of this man, whether he's hero mm-hmm. or whether he's villain. Um, you know, right. and, and again, I tried to show the reason I brought up the book burning because I think it's a kind of symbolic event, but it, <clears> it's something that shows both his zeal, but also something that that one could reasonably stand on two sides of. You, you yeah. know, for for against book burning, they're 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 important um, things that are part of that discussion. Yeah, let's let's talk. Let's move a little forward to uh, or group the next two together in the Reformation. Now, yeah, why yeah, is yeah. that? Yeah. Um, because oftentimes people have heard the joke. You know, the Dominicans were founded to deal with the uh, Albigensians, and the Jesuits are founded to deal with the Protestants. And then you say, when's the last time you've been an Albigensian? And it's supposed to be a dig on the Jesuits as if they failed their mission and we, we succeed in our, in our mission. Of course, there's plenty of Albigensianism around and Gnostic people who don't value the body appropriately. So in this way, we still got more to do. But I've always thought, coming from a Protestant background, knowing a bit of the history, that this was rather ironic and, uh, and rather rich from a Dominican to say, because... Of course, Martin Luther famously writes the 95 Theses as a scholastic disp- disputation, puts it on the Wittenberg cathed- uh, Cathedral door. 
But he's responding, or at least one of the major flashpoints, is the selling of indulgences. Right. And the preacher who is preaching about the indulgence sales for the raising for St. Peter's and all this sort of thing is Johannes Tetzel. And he has this little kind of phrase, this little ditty um, that an English version of it says, when a coin in the coffer spins. Uh, rings a soul in purgatory springs. I remember learning this. <laughs> I remember this le- learning this in, in, a, in my Protestant yeah, Protestant years. Um, and of course, Johannes Tetzel, as you may now, you've always assumed, was a Dominican preacher. So he's a German Dominican. Um, and so, if Johannes Tetzel wasn't preaching these things, whoever he was, then you wouldn't have the this, the the Martin Luther responding in, with such fervor. You could say, and then so we you could say in some ways we're responsible. We're the remote cause. Luther is the proximate cause. Of the Reformation. We're the remote. On the other side of it, interestingly, is a man that probably people know less than Johannes Tetzel was Martin Bucer, who was a Strasbourg Dominican, another German Dominican. Um, and was at the head of the Reformation. So he, he was a Dominican in Strasbourg and then left the Dominican order after hearing, after hearing Luther's preaching um, and was foundational for that city, but also worked with Melanchthon and the Lutherans to deal with the art, articles of the Concord and such. Also was working with, the Zwing, with Zwingli and the reform in, in Zurich. Also, when John Calvin was found in Geneva, before that he'd been in Strasbourg and worked with Martin Bucer, who assisted him in that, and then finally is called over to England near the end of his life, um, or before he died in 1551, and at the, to assist Henry VIII, and also to work in the Reformation there as Regis Professor of, Cambr- of, of Divinity at Cambridge. So Martin Bucer is known sometimes as the man of the Reformation because he was instrumental in the Reform tradition, hmm. the Lutheran tradition, and the Anglican tradition. And he was well-suited to do it because he was a Dominican, uh, well-trained in scholastic thought and the scriptures. So that maybe that's part of the other side of it is we shouldn't be surprised that occasionally Dominicans go bad. When they go bad, they go really, really bad <laughs> because Dominican training is, you know, they know this. Mm. Thomas Aquinas is helpful for all areas of fields, including Protestant reformational work. Yeah, it's true. And you sort, you sort of slipped in there um, as we were moving from Savonarola to Tetzel, right? Mm-hmm. We have those, those are two Dominicans yes. that remained faithful, yes. broadly speaking, to the order. They died That's as right. Dominicans. And then by the time we get to Bucer, and we're moving chronologically, right? That's right. Um, with Savonarola and with Tetzel being active in the late 15th, early 16th century, right? We're, we're, we're moving a little bit further beyond that um, when we get to Bucer, right? But now we've got in Bucer a guy who becomes an ex-Dominican who leaves the order, right. who totally goes yeah. out and beyond. And we've moved, we've really, we've moved from something that was, that was really kind of a matter of taste or an open theological question to something that was uh, more extreme, I think. Is that a fair characterization? I think, well, I, myself, um, I think the Protestant Reformation is, is, or the Protestant faith is not as good as the Catholic faith, not as true. So I don't know how you feel about this. So I would say, yes, I would not support a brother who was coming in wanting to take the name Brother Martin Bucer. Um, I'd be, I think that would be, oh, named after Dominican. questions. Yeah. yeah, I just think there's some questions about this sort of thing. I'd take, you say Brother Ignatius Loyola, okay, but Brother Martin Bucer, nah, a little bit too far. This guy, but still, I mean, very, yeah. So an interesting figure that behind the Reformation in these different areas is an ex-Dominican. So not only is Cardinal Cajetan working against Luther and we're, and, and working to uh, the counter-reformation but of course you have the reformation power so it's dominicans on dominicans you could say which is fascinating 
Now, what do we what do we make of all that? What did that look like in the order? I mean, because here it sounds like we've got. Did, are these guys representatives? You know, the friars that are more of uh, these agents of reactionary. Are they leaders of movements within the Dominican order? Does the order, broadly speaking, remain faithful the sense, to the church? The sense is, well, with, generally remains faithful to the church on the continent, it seems. Although, of course, people are changing things. But the big one is, is England. Uh, I think, if I'm correct, there are zero, I think there are zero Dominican martyrs uh, during the English Reformation. I think that's correct. So that they that none of either fled or oh or gosh, converted. Wow. It's a real wow. now. I mean, there might be there's one questionable one because he was received at some point during his jail uh, jail time okay. or something. Okay. But but really in general, uh, the Dominicans uh, Dominicans either converted over or they fled. Uh, it's not like the Jesuits. You don't have the kind of great stories about the Jesuit martyrs in, in uh, Dominican martyrs over there in the way that you have Campion and 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 the Jesuits. Uh, so that's that's a bit of a and and they, it's the English province, so they they can they can answer to this better than I can. But it's a bit of a disappointment when one finds that Dominicans Dominican martyrs in England were uh, is possibly zero and far between. Well, and something perhaps that's representative of the Church in England on the whole. You probably remember that's, Father yeah. James, our novice master, bringing this up to us, right? Father James would ask, "Now, brothers, how many bishops in the Church remained faithful to the Holy See during the English Reformation?" One. John Fisher, That's and they killed him. You know, and he yes. would say in his little accent, right? Yes. But it, but it's, no, it's true. But it's true. There was only John Fisher. The rest of the Catholic bishops became accommodationists, uh, became became heretics. They, they joined the Church of England. It's true. And so I'm, perhaps you know, without being yeah, too sure. hard on the on the order, we see um, we could see a kind of going along there, a spirit of and the, and the, the Reformation in England progressed differently than it did in the continent. It wasn't because it was the Church of England, so it was a, still. And which is why you have things like Anglo-Catholics and you have Anglicans that uh, affirm the Pope in some fashion as well. So it's more complicated than that. I do remember there's that great Thomas More at one point, this is St. Thomas More, they they say, everyone's signed, everyone's come over, even all the bishops. And he goes, all the bishops? And uh, the man said, "Well, not not Bishop Tom, not Bishop John Fisher, <laughs> of course not that guy. Of course not. So I do like, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Very good. Okay, now we've got a couple more to introduce. Yeah, um, let's go. Do you think? Do you think it's fair to say that these these following characters get grow in their extremity, or? Well, they're different, I suppose. One of them. Um, let's go to the. So these are more modern. We'll say kind okay, of. I okay. suppose Reformation modern in two ways. One is uh, Giordano Bruno, um, who is uh, is a. <laughs> Is fascinating story. He's an Italian Dominican, of course, in the 1540s and 1600s. This is the Galileo time and the Copernican time, this sort of thing, a little bit before. And he's a Dominican. He's preaching about about uh, heliocentrism, and so he's seen as a martyr for science. He's he's executed. Uh, this giant statue and put up um, for him after Leo the X, Leo XIII, sorry. Uh, published an encyclical against Freemasons, and the Freemasons in Italy responded uh, with a statue of Giordano Bruno, because he uh, he wasn't reforming the church; he was reforming the faith. He felt like, and so he went pantheist. So the sun and were gods, and all this, the planets everywhere and infinite. So he's a, and so it doesn't just like heliocentrism versus geocentrism where the Galileo was, but this is a a, a real crazy guy, uh, and went whole hog into some science faith hermetic 
mysticism. He, yeah, he traditionally abandons Western metaphysics um, and and leaves behind Western philosophy as we would know it into something more. And I, that's yeah. one of the things that makes his statue interesting, which, mm -hmm. you know, as you said, it's violent because it's this uh, this this middle it looks finger. good, too. It's a cool statue. Pope. You know, it's 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 quite prominent. But yeah, but that statue, that site is a kind of place of pilgrimage for people mm -hmm. interested today in new age movements. Yeah. Uh, and and the, the whole thing is very bizarre. And to find out that that this was a Dominican friar, yeah, um, who you know, and it's not as if there were there weren't any attempts of uh, a rapprochement, right? Like right. Yeah. He 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 really intentionally went far beyond the pale on some of these questions, which, as you say, include um, include both science and philosophy. So it's matters that are that are even just beyond and things. This wasn't just a reformer scriptural kind of guy in the way that Booser would have been, who was far enough. But this is this is man that gone, has gone way off the, the reservation. Now, another one more in the modern time, um, and in a sense, uh, JP2 is downstream of him, mm. so we could come back on this, is, is Franz Brentano. Uh, this is another ex-Dominican. He was a Dominican uh, novice and spent, was ordained a priest after two years of being a, after two years entering the novitiate. So there's some weird story about his Dominicanism um, that's not entirely clear in, the, in, the, in some of the accounts. But yet he was trained in the scholastic model, and you can see this from his works. His main works are on the science of being and metaphysics. Um, now, he's interesting because he's the founder of the movement of phenomenology, the, the, the 20th century movement that, so, sorry, he is the grandfather. The founder is really Edmund Husserl, who founds phenomenology, you could say, and has students like Edith Stein and Dietrich von Hildebrand uh, and Max Scheler and uh, Adolf Reinach. Uh, and then who affects Lublin Thomism, which is JP2's Thomism. So he's a phenomenologist and personalism. Um, all this Husserl was, was so many of his students were converting to Catholicism that he said, upon my death, he was a convert from Judaism to Lutheranism. He said, upon my death, the church will have to canonize me because I've given them so many Catholics. Um, <laughs> wow. No yeah, way. he's That's a fantastic guy. Um, and so he's, <laughs> but his, and his, his, the phenomenology is a, uh, particular view that's that's very conducive, of course, to Catholic faith because it's about the, the reality of things and seeing them and the actions of things. But it's interesting about about him is that Brentano was his mentor. You could say he reading Brentano, and when you read Husserl, he's always in conversation with Brentano, who worked out the fundamental notions of intentionality and intentional analysis in his descriptive psychology, empirical psychology. His focus again on moving away from mental kind of Cartesian to more realistic accounts. And so Husserl takes up and has always worked with Brentano. And then Martin Heidegger, probably the, the second most famous phenomenologist, 20th century philosopher, he gets his start because Husserl gives him Brentano's book, mm. the, uh, the Manifold Sense of Being in Aristotle. And that sets off Heidegger's whole redoing of phenomenology with being in time and, and his whole account. Um, so, but Brentano, of course, Dominican trained and a scholastic paying attention to these things. So in a way, um, and then we get JP2 and personalistic movement, all this stuff from phenomenology and these guys and Jean-Luc Marion from the Heideggerian trend. But Dominicans at the the fountainhead source of that. Now, but none of those things that you were talking about are are really difficult in themselves. You know, we we before we were talking about people that were that were heretics, not only material right. heretics, but but you know, intentional, unrepentant 
just That's full right. outright heretics. Okay, so we have we have major collaborators in the Protestant movement, yeah. like Ibuser. We've got someone that that denies Western metaphysics. Bruno and has really yeah. serious scientific issues that he's bringing up in Bruno. Yeah. But talking about phenomenology doesn't make you a heretic, no. at least to the best of my knowledge. He's more. Uh, and, and, this is more if, accidentally if, a, a, so, a so, bad Dominican. So, so how did uh, what how, how did he fall off the rails? How did he well, end up an ex Dominican? It's not quite clear. He had some falling outs with the Catholic Church over really specifically over the papal infallibility doctrine. So this was, he was in the you know 1870s um, when he fell out against the church. Mm. Uh, and he, he just, he, he was a devout man and he was, he was a priest and he couldn't, he just couldn't reconcile himself. We're so downstream of papal infallibility, of course, when that comes out, uh, Vatican I. Uh, but even Cardinal Newman was not entirely in favor of this before the defined. Right, right, and you could right, say that Brentano right. is in the same position as Newman in a way, except he doesn't accede to the authority of the church. Instead, he says, I just can't reconcile this with, with, with the church's teachings and what I read from scripture. So it's kind of a, in the same way we see uh, Lefevreites or something, breakoffs not attentive to Vatican II, you could say Brentano is a kind of version of this. So he's, he's, he's still a faithful man in many ways, but he breaks over the particular dogma of, uh, of papal infallibility. Right. Okay. There we are. Now we have one more that we wanted to slip in. Yeah. So we, got, we got five Dominican whoops. Yeah. Uh, three, who, who two so far whoopses. that have stayed and three uh, that have left. So two. So two that die in the order. Three that left. We've got. We've got one more that Father Bonaventure wanted to mention though. Wow. That, <laughs> that, that we that we think just he just needs to be aired though. Yeah. You know, you've got to say it. This. Yeah. This. No. This. This man held uh, to a heretical position, uh, but stayed a Dominican, very faithful. Uh, he, many people would know him. His name is Saint Thomas Aquinas. Uh, so the angelic doctor, and uh, you might think, no, it could not be possible that he could hold a heretical position. Uh, but in terms of the Macca conception, uh, it seems that he does hold to a, a heretical position. But let's let's be clear. First off, it's not entirely clear. There are arguments. If you read Gregory Lagrange, for instance, you could, in later he tries to say in the end of his life, Thomas clearly recognizes that Mary is immaculately conceived by some of his writings. It's not clear from the Summa that this is the case when you read when you read in 27, Article 2. This is uh, Father Gregory's usual thing, quoting. So Tertia Paris, <laughs> question 27, Article 2, um, when he's asking the question about basically the Immaculate Conception, pre-sanctified before in the animation of the soul. Yeah, it seems um, like you got to be pretty flexible. He's and he basically there, gives yeah. the argument um, that y you can't have, the, the original sin can't be, can't be prevented from Mary because then she would be saved without the merits of Christ. Right. Okay. Uh, whereas the Franciscans, Blessed Duns is going to go ahead and say, this is something that's possible. It's very, it's very desirable. Therefore, it must be the case. But let's be clear. One, uh, St. Thomas, well, the, de the definition of the Immaculate Conception wasn't promulgated until 1854. So, it, the church hadn't settled on this matter. So if Thomas, which I think is probably reasonable, would not go for the Immaculate Conception or did not go for the Immaculate, I should say did not go to the Immaculate Conception in, in, his, in his teachings, it's not formally heresy, of course, because there's no definition for it. Second point, which uh, I think is important, is we like to say the Franciscans are right for the wrong reasons. And the Dominicans were wrong for the right reasons, because the reasons why Thomas Aquinas and the Dominicans fighting against the Immaculate Conception as a, as a doctrine and throughout history following St. Thomas is because they say Christ is the supreme self, uh, mediator and source of salvation. Without, without Christ, then no one can be saved. 
And if you read the document, it, December 8th, 1854, in a, fib, in, in a fabulous day, it has this one line that says, by, look at this, by a nice. singular privilege and grace granted by God in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the human race, and goes on that says that she's, she's immaculate conceived by the singular privilege, and there's that little in view of. And I like to think that's the St. Thomas in view of, to say, yes. all right, we get you. Um, yes, we think that you can be in view of that, but it must be that. So we'll, we'll settle on this. And I, one would have to, one might want to say, well, if Thomas sees that in there, well, of course, of course that's, but that's just, it's, it's good as Dominicans to admit, you know, I don't, it's fine to admit that Thomas isn't right about everything according to modern standards, today's standards. But then we can say, are there reasons to think that he would be inclined as, and, and to remember that. St. Thomas is the angelic doctor, but he's not the sole mediator of grace. So I think it's I think it's helpful. So hopefully this helps you to love our Dominican family a little bit more to uh, talk a little bit about the crazy uncles and see what's going on and to, and to, to love them, you know, in case you get stuck with them in the next family reunion, i.e. heaven. Uh, now you'll now you'll have something to say. Um, we want to thank everyone for listening to God's Planning. We, we greatly appreciate you. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Like the episode, subscribe on YouTube or your podcast app. Leave us a five star review that really helps people find the podcast and it encourages them to listen. If you'd like to donate to the podcast through Patreon, follow the link in the description or show notes. There you'll also find links to shop our merch and to get information for upcoming Godsplaining events. Uh, as always, we're grateful for your prayers. Please know that we're praying for you. God bless. <laughs>